0: A lot of times they will be, you know, taking a million dollar piece of land in uh, Palo Alto and then building a brand new 2,400 square foot house. And the whole name of the game is, you know, they can build for anywhere between 280 and $320 a square foot. And Palo Alto, a finished product, depending on which neighborhood, can sell anywhere from 1450 to about $2,300 a brand new build. So you think about for every square foot you're adding, you could possibly be creating $2,000 in value.
1: This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Prashant Vanka and Danny Burgess, the founders of the Door Advisors team based in Cupertino. In the past year, they've helped homeowners buy and sell over $75 million worth of real estate. And in this episode, they'll give us tips on what we can do to dominate the Bay Area real estate market. They'll also teach us how to build an amazing sales team and what investors should be looking for when they partner with an agent. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years, and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, contact me at sean at to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, Download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. All right, guys. Thanks for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourselves and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Sweet. My name is Prashan Vanka. I'm one of the co-founders of
0: Doors Advisors. We have Doors Advisors is a real estate group, and we're one of the top teams in all of the Bay Area. And we've got my business partner, Danny, here as well with us.
2: Yeah, my name is Danny Burgess, grew up here in the Bay Area, currently active real estate agent, and we are starting to dabble into the investment side as well.
1: That's super exciting. I know you guys are one of the top producing teams here in the Bay Area. Do you want to give a quick overview of how you guys started the Doors Advisors Group? Sweet, Danny, go for it.
2: Yeah, so Prashant and I had kind of different trajectories into the business, but we met about four years ago as we were both growing our individual teams and businesses, and over time just became good friends. About 15 months ago, we sat down, had a great lunch. He gave me an offer I couldn't refuse, and I joined his vision and partnership, and yeah, that's when Doors was really born. And yes, yeah, so we've been working hard for 15 months, and, and you know we're 1% of the way there. Exciting. And can you guys tell me, you know,
1: what makes your guys team unique?
0: Yeah. And I think in our view, there's a couple things. Number one, I think it's the culture for our team members. It's really insanely high energy, growth oriented, and we challenge each other all the time. But from a standpoint of like just business wise, I think we go back to the real fundamentals, right? So, you know, just like in football, you talk about blocking and tackling. We really get back to real estate business and we talk about lead generation. So not only do we talk about it like a lot of teams, we actually do it together. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every single week, you know, we get together, we script practice together as a team, and then we call for the next two hours from eight thirty to ten thirty, whether that's following up for open house leads or whether that's following up with investors from, you know, meetups that we go to like Sean's, or it's following up with, you know, distressed
1: sellers finding deals for our investors. Exciting. And what are you guys doing for the generation and continuous deal flow?
2: Yeah. So we hit the phones hard. That's the truth. It's funny, you know, when you're out having a really fancy dinner, it's kind of the polar opposite of Monday mornings getting in at 7 a.m. and prepping your call list, right? It's the ugly side of the business, but it's the part of the business that makes us the most amount of money. So we drive traffic through there. And then of course, on just the retail side in general, we host great open houses. We drive buyers into there and that's where we accumulate more and more business. And then of course, when a seller sees such an extravagant experience at an open house, they're going to want you to list their houses well. So it's just kind of a compounding thing that builds on itself.
1: And how are you getting your team to cold call such great volumes for you guys?
2: You know, like many greats, we talk about the big why, why we're doing what we're doing. So I don't want to say it's a means to an end, but there's a bigger purpose attached to calling, right? So it's well beyond money. And we talk about that a lot on our team. Why are we doing what we're doing? What's important to us? And where do we see ourselves in one, three, five, ten 10 years? So I think that's really how you stay motivated, right? It's about kind of seeing that that light and working through it with that in mind.
0: Yeah, and to add to that, Danny and I have gone through a couple iterations of how we want to bring on team members, but basically the latest iteration that we ended up at is, you know, we really want to hire for behavior and we think we can teach skill set if the behavior is there. So part of the way we accomplish that is, you know, we're such an open book and transparent. We believe if the behavior is there for the right team member, just coming and hanging out in our culture, they're going to fall in love with it. And also vice versa. If they come hang out with us and see the culture and how hard we drive, they might see that and say, you know what, this isn't a right fit for me. And that's okay too. So for that reason, we've kind of now evolved into, Anyone we think, you know, we we have an intro meeting with and we get a good feeling about, that's going to be a good cultural fit. We invite them to come hang out with our team for two weeks. And anytime during that two week, they could say, hey, this is an amazing fit. I want more or vice versa. Hey, this is not for me. I want out.
1: And what kind of behaviors are you guys looking for, for your like ideal team members?
0: Honestly, I know this is going to sound very, very simple, but... We feel 99% of people just make these outlandish claims and never back up what they say. So we just are looking for people that are going to say what they're going to do.
1: Cool. Dan, do you have anything to add to that?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of base principle. But we look for people who are high in integrity, who are hardworking, who want to be a part of something big you know, you really can't have small goals and be on our team. It just doesn't match. So, you know, those are some of the base standards, but you walk onto our team and you say, you want to make 200 grand and I show you how to make 200 grand. And then you don't do the activities to do that. That's where there's a rub. So as long as you do what you say, you know, and mean what you say, then you're probably a good fit. Mm
0: -hmm. To that story, we had one of our rookie agents was making about $46,000 sixth year into his career and never done sales before said, Hey, I want to come go be a real estate agent on the Doors Advisors team. And in the first year, they sold 14 houses and made $140,000 net to them. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. So, you know, if you come hungry mindset and work really hard, the sky's the limit, like Danny had mentioned.
1: What does working hard look like? Is that just being able to pound the phones and not quit? Or, you know, what are they doing uh, besides cold calling?
0: Yeah, it's, you know, cold calling lead generation via open houses, you know, showing up to meetups, and then during their time off, learning their craft, because ultimately, you know, they're joining a new craft, and you got to be learning at it. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I would add, you know, not wasting time. So doing the right activities is really important to us. I'm totally cool with you learning and growing in that direction. But wasting your time on building flyers or having low level conversations. Those are things we try to correct and coach people through.
1: And if you're a brand new agent on your team, how long do you think it takes before they actually see some traction from their cold calling efforts?
2: So in a standard market around the Bay Area, I mean, around the country, sorry, you're probably going to see a return in like 60 to 90 days. I think our market's a little bit further out. So maybe 90 to 180 days. I mean, of course, if you get lucky and you put in more hours, you may get lucky and sit in an open house. If your agents have joined our team, sat in an open house, wrote an offer that weekend, and boom, they have their first deal, right? But from calling specifically, you know, this isn't a pick up the phone. You're going to answer and let me into your home on the first conversation. It's highly unlikely. So it takes some time to build that relationship, build that rapport, and then maybe on the sixth or seventh call, they, you know, you, you get to set that appointment. So,
1: okay, cool. And when it comes down to cold calling as a new agent, what are some common tips you have like to give to your new agents?
2: You know, as a new agent, the number one thing is time on task over time. So just getting in there and getting beat up really kind of you can't replace that. So going through the process and allowing yourself to receive those no's and getting used to it. You know, it's funny when you hear a new agent, they're like, wow, I just can't get anyone to talk to me. And it's been 20 minutes and they've been on the phone, right? But that's normal, right? It's normal that 95% of the people are probably going to want to hang up. And it's just a next type of a thing, right? Next up and you come with the same energy and same passion and you got to be consistent. you got to practice the craft, right? Don't practice on the people that are going to be giving you all the money. Practice on your colleagues and your um, teammates, right? So practice and stay consistent.
1: Hmm. And how are you coming up with your scripts to give to your agents?
0: Well, it depends on the source and we have a lot of really good scripts and that's how we come up with them. Okay.
1: Is it from like, you know, a website you found and you're just kind of like altering them based on your own scenarios?
0: Yeah, we're actually coached by one of the best uh, real estate coaches in the country and that's Tom Ferry. So we have a lot of different scripts that we take from there.
1: Cool. I know that when I went over to your office a couple of months ago, we were cold calling off of a list, like expires or something like that. And you had all your other agents cold calling the same list. Does it ever conflict? they're calling the same pool of people? No, because we get a hold of less than
0: 3% of people at a time.
1: Okay. So basically you're just having them call like as much as possible because for the most part, they don't pick up anyway.
0: That's part of it. And then the other side of it is, you know, we're really only asking our team members to call for about six hours a week. When you think about, you know, people are working 40 to 60 hours in the Bay Area, if you call something a full-time job, six out of those, you know, up 60 hours is less than 10%. So it's really not that much. And to be honest, you know, we talked about also doing open houses and meetups. You want to get belly to belly. This is a contact sport. So, Following up with people you've met belly to belly and built up a relationship with is a lot more successful than anything else. So when you run out of that, then we can go ahead and start cold calling, you know, people that have displayed an interest to put the house on the
1: market before. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I was wondering about that, too, because I figure when you do stuff like cold calling or your door knocking, these are all like cold interactions. Like you don't know this person and they may or may not give you business because they don't know who you are. They haven't had the time to know, like and trust you. And I figure like, you know, you look at the top, top agents, they, I don't know if they are, but I don't think they're really cold calling. They're usually using their old book of business to get referrals over and over again. Do you have any opinions on that?
2: Yeah. I mean, the truth is we get a ton of referrals, right? Most, I'd say 60% of our business from 2019 came from referrals. Would you say that's correct, P?
0: Yeah, I think in 60%. And then I would add to that open houses and sphere was like 85% of our business.
2: So the truth is we get a ton of business that way as well. We're just not complacent. We want to grow. You really can't scale and grow your business if you're only relying on Sphere and past clients because... Then you're just going to do 30 deals for the rest of your life. And for many people, and definitely for most people in our market, 30 deals in our market is a ton of deals, right? But for us, that's just a drop in the bucket of where we think we can go. And if you want to grow, you have to continue to lead generate, right? You have to continue to build that baseline of deals and baseline of generating those referrals back. So it kind of looks like a hockey stick if you take our method.
0: Yeah, and to add to Danny's point, one of the things is you know my family moved here when I was twelve, so it's not like I you know my parents had a lot of people that they knew locally, and all of my friends you know in through my twenties they just couldn't afford to buy or sell, and they didn't own anything, and they couldn't afford to buy, so you know Danny and I both had to build up our book of businesses by going outbound and building our book of business. So because we adopted that mindset already, and it's proven well why give that up now? Because as Danny had stated,
1: we can build that hockey stick growth. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Are you guys doing anything else for lead gen besides cold calling?
2: Yeah, we do a ton of things. You know, We try to keep our agents focused on you know two to four pillars, we call them, of lead generation. So we have, of course, the calling. We have open houses. We have our networking events. We have door knocking. All of those things come into play depending on the agent and their style and, and the way they like to do business.
1: Do you guys do like direct mail campaigns or something like that? We do for our past
0: clients in Sphere. Like you had mentioned, you know, we do direct mail for people that we've
1: already done business with. Okay. Because yeah, direct mail does get very expensive and you don't want to just waste like 70 cents on a, a random person, right? Exactly. Okay. And when it comes down to building your list of people to cold call, how are you finding that list? And what are you doing to skip trace these like names into phone numbers?
2: So a lot of our data, we use the typical data pull from a Vulcan 7 type of a product. And then we put those into our different dialing systems. And then we have a couple other sources that, you know, P, what are some of the ones that you use just to find the numbers? You know, Coal Realty Resource or something. I think that's what it's called.
0: You know, for our investor side business, we have a couple different sources but like some common ones that you guys can use that are really high quality are IDI, for example. And as Danny had stated, for retail business, Cold Realty is really good.
2: They're all very similar. One thing you're going to find is none of the data is perfect. So don't show up thinking that 100% of all the numbers you're getting is, are going to be the right person. You kind of have to dig through it. But they're all similar. And I think per market, depending on where you're listening from, each one's going to be a little different. So I'd say kind of test and move through those.
1: Yeah. I'm actually not familiar with a lot of the software you just mentioned besides the Mojo dollar one. And I think Mojo does offer like a way to pull a list for you to then you know, automatically input into Mojo and then cold call. Is that correct? Correct.
0: They do. Yeah. They have a data service.
1: So what's next for you guys? I heard you're going into the development business yourselves.
0: Yeah, we're really excited about this. You know, one of the skill sets that we've picked up over the years, and Danny's kind of been in this world his whole life. His father's been an architect contractor for 31 years, and he grew up on property sites and development sites. And myself, as a realtor and at Doors Advisors, we've really specialized working with investors and helping them find properties that they can add value to. A lot of times, they will be, you know, taking a million dollar piece of land. In uh, Palo Alto, and then building a brand new 2,400 square foot house. And the whole name of the game is you know, they can build for anywhere between 280 and $320 a square foot. And Palo Alto, a finished product, depending on which neighborhood, Barron Park being the lowest and Old Palo Alto being the highest, can sell anywhere from $1,450 to about $2,300 a brand new build. So you think about for every square foot you're adding, you could possibly be creating $2,000 in value. And so that's kind of the world we were introduced to. And after learning how to find more and more properties, we've been getting into doing a few of these ourselves and obviously using awesome um, lenders like you.
1: Yeah, perfect. And you want to tell me about what do you plan on doing to source deals like this?
0: Yeah, and it started really simply as you know we went back and looked up who these builders were, and literally reach out to them and say, hey, you know, we're a really hardworking real estate team. And if you teach us what you're looking for, we'll go door knock them, we'll go call them, we'll go just work really hard to get you in front of them, instead of just looking for on market MLS deals. And basically, we've compounded those last four years of learning, and just started pursuing more and more, where, almost every investor, builder, developer are looking for about 80% of the time, the same type of product.
1: Yeah. So is that something like something in Palo Alto with like a 6,000 square foot lot that's relatively flat so they can build their 2,400 square foot property?
0: Yeah. Well, I would say we go all the way from San Mateo County, Santa Clara County, and a few cities and even Alameda County. But generally speaking, we would probably say if we can look for 5,000 plus square foot lot and the ARV or basically a brand new build is selling for over a thousand dollars a square foot, then it probably makes sense. So there's Fremont that we look on the East Bay and then in uh, Santa Clara and San Mateo County, we target all the way from San Mateo down to San Jose. Hmm.
1: And are you planning on entitling the projects at all, or is it just like buying and then basically wholesaling to the developer?
0: No, we will probably entitle and do some of the developments ourselves, And some of those that, you know, our margins don't work with, uh, you know, investors and uh, lenders like you, we go ahead and also partner with builders that do it with real cash.
1: Yeah. And how are you going to finance some of these projects if you aren't going to partner with, let's say, another developer?
0: That's why we, you know, we take all of our money that we make from Doors Advisors
1: and we save up and we go invest in these projects as a principal. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. And yeah, for your first field years, especially since you don't have experience creating it, what do you plan on doing for the construction side of a new development project?
0: We might bring in a partner that does have paper experience and, you know, make them one of the general partners on the LLC or the entity so we can
1: build up that experience. Cool. Very nice. So yeah, you guys are really experienced in the field and you've definitely been around in the Bay Area for a very long time. How can you go about helping some of our listeners who are investors or maybe some people who want to be, who are new agents who want to get into the game as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, on the new agent side, we're a fantastic resource just to reach out to and pick our brain. It's always nice to talk to someone who's been there before you and give you guidance. As our team grows, we're always looking for great new talent to bring them on our team. So if you're young and you're hungry and uh, you want to build something awesome, Please reach out and get a hold of me ASAP. On the investor side, for me, you always want someone on your team that's going to be a straight shooter. That's something that we really are on Doors Advisors. We're always going to grind hard and try to get you the biggest return as we can because we're just not a one off deal type of a team. We see everyone that we talk to as a, a relationship and, and a long term relationship. And so if you're an investor and you want a really hard working team, reach out to us as well. We'll go find you the deal and we'll make you some money.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more on the investor side. I can't tell you how many agents bring up deals and they go, Listen, this property is off market and you can buy for nine fifty. And then, you know, an investor's lens asks, Hey, how much is the rehab? What would it sell for? Yeah, you know, rehab might be uh seventy thousand and you could sell for one point one. When you put that math together, it's nine fifty plus seventy, so you're already at a million twenty, and you're going to sell for one point one, and then there's agency fees and closing costs of about sixty five thousand. The only person that made money in that is a realtor. So I've talked to a lot of investors, even at your meetup, Sean, and a lot of uh, realtors bring the wrong deals. So one, we know how to underwrite. We look at it through an investor's lens and we'll go through all of that. So I think that's really awesome for us to work with. And I'll also share a quick story. There was an investor that did three deals on his own with other realtors before he started working with us exclusively. And between those three deals, it took him about a year and a half and a half. And after all that, he lost money on one, made money on two of them, and he barely made about 150000 with over $3.5 million in exposure. And he started working with uh, Danny and I, and in the last seven months, he's done seven projects, and he's
1: going to net over $2 million. Holy cow. Yeah. You should introduce me to this guy afterwards too.
2: Yeah. And and I think even another story, and this is more on the kind of more negative side, you know, I've met a ton of investors in Silicon Valley that have tried to bring me in and list their deals for them and they have no spread. And so what happens when you don't do the math up front, you know, like my dad always taught me, it's all about the buy, right? When you don't have that spread and that protection on the backside, you have to reach for the stars. And I've had to turn down honestly, amazing opportunities to list beautiful properties because the sellers were so deep that they were so unrealistic with pricing. And I always tell them, hey, send me your deals so we can underwrite them for you and at least show you a conservative route. And then we can show you the more aggressive route as well. But it's so important to have someone that has no emotional attachment kind of on your side, looking at these deals, underwriting them and making sure you don't, you know, step in shit
1: yeah absolutely, especially if they are super desperate for their spread or getting their money back, then not only are they going to be unrealistic with the price, but they're also going to undercut you as the agent, try to get you know like you know one percent back or something like that, right?
2: Hey, I have a very recent great story about that, and I'm sure if this is podcast gets out to the investment world, he'll probably be listening to this cracking a little smile, but yeah, I had to turn down a pretty big deal for that reason exactly, yep
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and we work so hard about adding value to the chain that, you know, we're a full service agency and we charge full commissions. But our investors are so glad to do that, too. Because, again, as Danny had stated, we underwrite the whole deal. We do all that due diligence for them. Our ARVs are very conservative. And then we show them that we're making money actually on the purchase. So at the end of the day, then when we ask for, you know, a lot of times we'll even invest alongside with them so we can ride the profit share with them. So everyone's goals are aligned.
1: And you want to talk about what makes a good agent? Like what makes one agent be able to sell a house for a lot more than, let's say, another agent who can get the house sold?
2: Yeah, great question. For me, it's being realistic with the sellers and being straightforward with the sellers. You know, every single seller, especially if they've lived there for a long time, they think you know, their house is a lot better than it actually is. And so a lot of realtors being afraid of losing the deal, they'll tell the sellers what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And so, you know, maybe you go into a listing and the seller says, I think I can sell it for, you know, 1.2 million. And in the back of your head, you're thinking, well, this thing's only worth a million. I'm going to tell them that. And I may not even take the listing if they're not realistic with price. And then I'm also going to tell them what they need to do to get the best ROI on their sale. I lay all the cards on the table, be as truthful, as honest and open with them about the market and your knowledge. And, you know, you can't be afraid of losing the deal and jeopardize their asset, right? You got to do the right thing and tell them when they're wrong. And that's the biggest thing I see between the people who are very successful and the people who just maybe do three to six deals a year, you know, that lack of transparency with their clients.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you asked that. We were just looking this up, this close to 24,000 agents that are licensed in Alameda, San Francisco, San Mateo, and Santa Clara County. Would you say more selling more than one house a month, if you call yourself professional, is probably a good barometer?
1: I mean, that's pretty good, especially in the Bay Area. As an agent, if you can sell one house a month, that's like 300K, you know, like that's pretty good. How many agents do you think do that out of the 24,000? Yeah, like definitely a small, small percentage, you know, under uh, maybe 100. Who knows?
0: Okay. You're actually much closer than everyone else who took the guess. It's about 210. Okay. Yeah. So it's just, I think bottom line is, like you said, most people do it for the money. They know grandma, grandma's neighbor, sell a couple houses and they just go about and do it. So they just don't take it seriously as their craft. They're not professional about they're not professional about learning the craft they're not disciplined about you know lead generating all the time, and you know they make a hundred grand and they're chilling until next year when they need another
1: check yeah what what's your guys' like metric? Do you guys count more of the number of transactions you do or do you count more of the gross volume of sales that you do?
2: The truth is we're a unit based team we track units that's all that matters. We know our goals are based around the units we know our price point. You can't have a consistent real estate business when you're just tracking volume. It's just not the way to go about business.
1: Mm-hmm. So number of listings or number of sales, I guess, on each side?
2: Yeah, correct. A unit is one side.
1: Cool. So if you double end, you guys count that as two? Correct. Nice. And how many did you guys do last year?
2: We did uh 63 units for 74 million. Is that correct, P? I
1: think 76.
2: 76 million. We missed our target by a long shot. We really fell short on our goal. And I think it was just because it was our first year together. So we were just kind of banging through the systems and trying to find the right people. And I mean, we're still in that mode today. Uh, That's the reality. You know, when we get off this call, we're going to go probably put out 10 fires, but that's part of the growth cycle.
1: Exciting. And remind me again, what are you guys going to do to increase that number and hit your goals for 2020?
2: It's always about the people. We got to find more people, more great people to surround ourselves with and grow with. Um, You know, Prashant and I one day don't want to be the lion's share closers on our team, right? We would like to be working our way outside of this retail sales side and hand it off to other young, hungry, great, talented people. Nice.
0: Yeah. One of the things that we always talk about is, you know, we want to keep growing the vision large enough that everyone in our world can fulfill their vision. So part of that is for us to go build a $100 million development company. So, you know, not only every single person within our company and our world can fulfill every single one of their dreams, financial
1: and otherwise. Nice. I remember uh, I was visiting one of my properties I sold last year, and across the street was a brand new development from uh, an investor friend that I know. And I was very surprised to see your face as the selling agent, and you actually sold it at a really good price, which is really surprising to me because I thought that neighborhood was dead. And I thought that no one was going to buy new construction projects at that price. Do you want to tell me the story of how you got that listing and how you're able to sell it, even though it seemed like that property couldn't be sold?
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. There was Seven houses the doors advisors team took on just in the last two quarters. And, you know, 2019 was a challenging year because most markets corrected between eight and 13%. So, you know, obviously when it's going down, it's very hard to sell houses, but we're absolutely relentless in the way we market the house and how we pursue offers and how we negotiate and make sure that we bid up a couple offers. So. We do the same process for every single home. We believe ultimately every house has a story to tell. And it's our job to basically identify that and find out which subset of a buyer is perfect for that home. And that's how we end up selling it. To go back to your first question, which is, how did I get that house? It's really, really simple on how we go after investors is we go ask them what they're looking for and we help them find it. And part of our agreement is, hey, it's our listing on the other side. When you get done building it out, that's no questions asked.
1: It's pre-negotiated and we agree to that on the front end. Mm-hmm. And how did you go about finding that buyer for that property? Like I said, it was a really tough market last year and that I know that house was going through some pain, but yeah, I was so surprised. I was like, wow, you, you were able to find a buyer for that project because I have a friend who has a similar property also in Santa Clara, brand new construction, and he wasn't able to sell his.
2: That's not the only project we took on that was difficult in in a difficult sales market. It truly is one of...
1: Tell them about the
0: Mount Carmel one.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's just numerous stories that we can go on and tell about. But what we can say is there's one thing agents really don't do, and it annoys me, is they don't actively follow up with interested parties on those listings. So... You know, if you don't sell the house in the first two weeks, most agents are like, Hey, we're in the Bay Area, put the sign in the yard, sell the thing in two weeks, and we can walk away and collect our check and go to Maui. The truth is, some houses don't sell in two weeks, right? So, what are you going to do to continue to? keep momentum up and keep some sort of urgency on the sale. And the best way to do that is track who comes through the house and then reach out to them every single week and say, Hey, where are your buyers at? My sellers are getting anxious. Let's get an offer together, you know, and start pushing those buyers down the pipeline until one of them breaks. I mean, I had an amazing home in Mount Carmel that should not have sold for the price it sold for. And it was all about keeping up with this one party that I knew was close. And I just, Called them every single week, every Monday. I would call this lady and say, "Where are your buyers at? Let's put something together. Where are your buyers?" And then it, it keeps that agent doing their job because you can't assume that every buyer's agent that walks into your property is doing their job for their client. So you kind of have to do both the jobs and make sure that they're keeping up with their client, saying, "Hey, what about this home? What about this home? What about this home?" So you you know that's a really big piece that I, I think most people overlook when they're hiring an agent.
0: Yeah, and then the other point is, well, let me ask you a question, Sean. Who do you think is the most desperate residential real estate seller?
1: <laughs> a flipper who has a hard money loan on their project. Okay.
0: Yep. How about a larger scale person who has a little bit of experience?
1: Sure. I mean, if they have investors backed behind them and they're expecting their payout, right? Perfect.
0: Yeah. So like a new home construction, like Pulte, KB Homes, right? Because they've got proven track record, but their business model is the same. They're a flipper. That's just doing on a larger scale. Mm-hmm right? So, And they typically do phase one, phase two, phase three, and they have to sell out phase two to even get funding on phase two and phase three. So what do they do? They do every single day open house, nine to six, and they have an awesome showroom. So part of that is, you know, we take principles from it, right? So that's why we have mega open houses. They're giant parties. We have food, we have wine. And depending on the price point, we might even have live music, right? They're a giant parties. One of the things that One of the challenging listings Danny took on had five different agents that almost listed it for a year and it couldn't sell because it was on an intersection of basically like five roads coming together. So it's a beautiful house inside, but outside was crazy. You know what Danny did? He's like, you know what? This already has all this foot traffic. So he threw a giant ice cream party. (laughs) And so... Every mom with their kid that was passing by stopped and, you know, got a free ice cream. And that allowed Danny and our team to talk to them about the house, the neighborhood, and what they could do with it.
2: And ironically, we actually sold it to one of the neighbors. Literally, they lived a block or two away. And I sold it within two or three weeks after it had been on the market for a year and got a decent price for it. They didn't take a loss, which which we all thought they would. So it was pretty cool.
1: That's crazy. So the neighbors wanted a second house or something like that?
2: No, it was just these neighbors who had been coming by for quite some time. And I just had roped them back in and kind of battled through some of their objections that they had on valuation. And they ended up taking a shot at it and they got it. So
1: what I meant is like, are they using it as like a investment property or they want to move into that house and sell their old property?
2: No, they moved in. They were living in a condo down the street, renting. Oh, I see. Yeah. Interesting. Incredible.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, as you guys know, 2019 was a pretty rough year especially for us on the investment side, because markets did correct. What have you seen now for 2020?
2: Well, before today and yesterday, the uh, market has been absolutely white hot, really, really reminding us, reminiscent of spring of 2000. 17 when you were seeing 20 30 offers on listings we are seeing that i just beat out 28 offers to start the year all the way up until this week it's been fantastic we'll have to see what repercussions the stock market has on our little silicon valley here
0: yeah i mean i think there's a few things interest rates all-time low i got someone a 30-year fixed for 2.625 so that's just nuts i've never seen interest rates that low and then we had you know NASDAQ went up 31% in 2019, Facebook went up 67%, Apple, you know, 20%, Tesla more than doubled. So people just had a ton of money from technology in the stock market. So, and inventory is always low here. So all those kind of things kind of came together and it's real estate's really, or residential real estate's really about psychology and momentum. So we had a lot of positive momentum, which has caused the market to skyrocket in Jan and Feb so far.
1: And for those of you who are wondering what he's are talking about for the week, uh, this episode probably won't be released until like April. We're on the last week of February and the market has recently taken a small dip over the past couple of days. And that's mostly perpetuated by the fear of the coronavirus and slowing of business.
2: Yep, exactly.
1: And then as you guys were saying, like the stock market determines how much money they have for down payment, which also determines how much they're willing to pay for a property. Yep. So we'll have to see, right? Hopefully this week we continue to see, ever-increasing skyrocketing prices in the uh, housing market.
2: Yeah. You know, I really look forward to watching this podcast and laughing at us saying, ha ha, it's still here. So yeah, we're excited for it.
1: Perfect. Do you guys have any last tips for investors or uh, potential agents who are listening to this podcast before we end the show today? Yeah. Call
0: us if you're in the Bay Area.
2: Yeah. My big tip would be one of the greatest things I ever heard Warren Buffett say, he said, you know, we're not playing baseball. He said, the greatest advantage I have is I can watch a million balls go by and not take a swing. And so if you're a new investor or really any investor, take a few balls, you know, watch a few deals go by and make sure that it's the right ball to hit. Remove your emotion, partner with someone great, and you know, let those balls go by until you can see one that you smack out of the park and that'll protect you from any unforeseen events.
1: Perfect. Well, Prashant Danny, thank you so much for being on the show today. How can people get in contact with you guys?
2: Please follow me at travel underscore real estate magnet on Instagram, or as the youngsters call it, IG. Is that what they're calling it? And then also you can email me anytime at danny at doorsadvisors.com. And you can find us at www.doorsadvisors.com as well.
0: Yeah, you can find me at Prashant Vanka. It's a hard name to spell, so I'll have Sean kind of put a link up there. Or uh, email
1: me at Prashant at doorsadvisors. Yeah, you can find all the links on the show notes at com slash podcast. All right, so Prashant and Danny, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you guys on the show.
2: Hey, thanks, brother, man. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Cool. All right, take care. Ciao. Here are some of the key takeaways
1: from this episode. When you're building a team, look for people's drive and work ethic. The skills can be trained later. Development projects make sense if you can build them for much less than what the project will sell for after development. And when it comes to working with agents, you need to work with people who understand how the numbers work out. There are many times when agents will send you a deal that looks good on paper, but at the end of the day, because of all the expenses and cost of labor, they're only going to make money for the agent. So work with a team that you can trust and who know how to think like an investor. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.